0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So that's Genesis chapter 23 on page 23. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from bedside, his dead wife, and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so that I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf so that he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so that I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you, me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Pilar, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was legally made over to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterwards, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpilar near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were legally made over to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. The second reading is taken from Hebrews. It's chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 8 to 16, and that can be found on page 1209. So that's Hebrews chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, And he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own if they had been thinking of the country they had left they would have had opportunity to return instead they were looking for a better country a heavenly one therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them
1: Oh, well, David, thank you for reading those two passages so clearly for us. Do turn back to Genesis 23. Uh, we're going to spend the next bit of our time together looking at that together uh, in some detail. If it helps you, there's a, there's a handout tucked in the bundle of papers you were given. If you're a scribbler and you like to take notes, that might be a help to you. It's got the headings on it, so that might help as well. Um, I'm just going to pray for God's help, and then let's tuck in together. And so let's pray. Our Father God, um, your word says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And we pray that this evening, as we come to look at this passage from Genesis, you would help me to speak and all of us to hear as those with faith in the promises you have made and that you might grow our faith by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask you, uh, for you, uh, if you're a Christian here tonight, what is the best thing about being a Christian? Uh, for you here this evening, if you're a Christian, what is the best thing about being a Christian? It's the sort of annoying question that I used to uh, ask people a lot uh, when I was uh, a bit younger. Uh, I won't grab you at the door and force you to answer, unless you want to, of course. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you would think, uh, for me, the best thing about being a Christian is um, forgiveness, maybe, that God forgives me everything I've done wrong, or um, adoption into God's family, I can pray to God knowing he's my heavenly father. Or, um, or maybe it's the new sense of freedom, meaning, and purpose that comes from knowing God and his plan for the universe. Or, or perhaps something more concrete than that. Maybe it's being part of the local church. And you would say that that's the best thing, being knitted together with brothers and sisters. Uh, Let me say, if you're here this evening, and um, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you're just, you're looking in on the Christian faith here this evening, um, you're really welcome amongst us. There are always people like that here amongst us, And, um, and let me say, there is so much that is good about being a Christian. I could spend the whole of this evening just listing things. I've got a huge pad where I was thinking of all the things that I could say that are so good about being a Christian. And hey, if you're here with a friend or you're sitting next to someone who's a Christian, why don't you ask them afterwards what is the best thing for them about being a Christian? But, but look, whoever you are, there is one thing that I haven't mentioned so far. And I want to suggest that without this thing... Many of the other things that I've mentioned, many of the things that are good about the Christian life, even forgiveness, even adoption into God's family, that actually they're not worth very much. And it's the thing we're going to think about this evening, which is that God promises us a place at home with God when we die. God promises us a place at home with him, our heavenly, our heavenly father, beyond this life. And I'm not gonna go into that to say that's the best thing about being a Christian, but you see how so many of the other things about being a Christian would be so short-term and temporary. In fact, isn't everything short-term and temporary without the promise of a home with God when we die? Now, we're here in Genesis 23. We've been following Abraham, the great man of faith of the Old Testament, as we've been working through the book of Genesis together. We've been seeing together that God is trustworthy and what it means to trust in the God who is trustworthy. And um, here we start um, really the section at the end of Abraham's life. So um, here in um, Genesis 23, Sarah, Abraham's wife, one of the major characters of Genesis, um, dies and is buried. And then uh, in Genesis 25, Abraham himself is going to die and be buried. And just in between the two, there's the whole question of succession and finding a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. And, And the issue that dominates this final section of Abraham's story is this. Will the promises that God made to Abraham, will they die with Abraham? God has been faithful to Abraham through his long life, but are the promises to Abraham and to Sarah just for the here and now, just for their lifetime, or is there more? And in Genesis 23, we see that there is more, that Abraham believes that there is more. The first thing we see is that faith trusts God's promise of a future home. Faith trusts in God's promise of a future home. So just come with me to verse one for a moment. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan, And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. And he said, I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so that I can bury my dead. Uh, The convention in that society was that you, you bury your relatives in your family home. So if we were early readers of this passage, we'd be reading this. We'd get to verse three and we'd expect it to say something like, Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and made arrangements to take her back to Padan Aram, where they came from, and bury her there. But he doesn't do that. In verse three, he speaks to the locals, the Hittites, and he says, look, even though I'm a foreigner and a stranger here, I'm an immigrant living here, a refugee. I'm living in a tent on land that doesn't belong to me. Even still, sell me some property because I want to bury her right here. And um, the locals are are pretty accommodating in this passage, aren't they? Um, In verse Five, the Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Look, Abraham, you're kind of a big deal around here. You're a big name. We've got some A-list tombs just ready. Stick uh, Stick Sarah in one of those. And yet Abraham says... Verse eight, if you're willing to let me bury my dead, then listen and intercede with me with Ephron, son of Zohar, so that he'll sell me the cave at Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. And the tension of the story turns on the fact that the, um, the Hittites are incredibly generous, and they say, look, Abraham, you're a big name. Just bury her, bury her in one of our teams. Look, just, just have some land, um, and uh, you can bury her there. And all the way through, the tension is that Abraham says, no, I, I want to buy the land for myself. Isn't it? That's, um, that's the story here. Abraham says, look, persuade Ephron to sell it to me. Doesn't it? It feels like the reverse of any time you've ever tried to buy a second-hand car. You know, um, uh, get Ephron to sell it to me. And Ephron stands up and says, no, don't worry about um, me selling it to you. Verse 11, I give you the field. I give you the cave. I give it to you in the presence of the people. And Abraham says, no, 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 Don't, don't give it to me. I don't want anything sort of temporary or a favor or a gift I want to own it for myself. Tell me how much it costs. And Ephron says, verse 15 Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. My footnote says 4.6 kilograms of silver. What's that between you and me? Well, what's that between you and me? I don't know how much the change in your pocket right now weighs, but 4.6 kilograms of silver is, is quite a high price, isn't it? And yet Abraham says, verse 16, Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he'd named in the hearing of the Hittites. See, all the way through, it's like the reverse of trying to buy a second-hand car. They just want to give it to him, and Abraham says, no, I must pay for it. Tell me how much I want to own it. The resolution of the story in verse 17, so Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it and all the trees within the borders of the field was legally made over to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites. Again, verse 20, the field and the cave in it were legally made over to Abraham by the Hittites. So why is Abraham so set on owning the land. Why not just stick her in the tomb? Why not accept the sort of temporary gift arrangement or something like that? Well, I think the clue is at the beginning and the end of our story. In verse two, have a look at verse two. Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And again, verse 19, afterwards Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And if you've been with us for the Genesis series, then you will know that Canaan is the land that God had promised to give to Abraham, God had said to Abraham in Genesis 12, go to the land I will show you and I will bless you. He'd said this land will belong to you and your descendants. God had promised him that this is the home he would have where he would be with God and God would bless him. And here, right at the end of his life, as he sat next to his wife who has just died, Abraham still believes that promise. He believes it to the extent that rather than taking her back to Paddan Aram, he wants to bury her here. So you remember what I said? The convention is that you bury your family members in your family home. And so Abraham is saying, by buying this field to bury Sarah in, look, my real home, it's not where I came from. But it's the place that God has promised me, and I've um, I've been reading a preacher this week who's really helped me to know how to apply this passage. I uh, I don't know his name, uh, but I know that he wrote the letter to the Hebrews. And, um, and in, in Hebrews 11, um, you don't need to tend to it, you can if you want to, but in Hebrews 11, the writer picks up the, uh, the language of this passage where Abraham says that he's a, a foreigner and a stranger, an alien and a stranger in the land. And he writes in, in Hebrews 11:13, all these people, Abraham and his descendants, were still living by faith when they died, They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they longed for a better country, a heavenly one. Do you see, the writer to the Hebrews says that what was going on in Abraham's story is that Abraham believed that God would keep his promise to Sarah and to him even after they'd died, that they were looking for God to keep the promise with a heavenly country, with a life beyond this life. Abraham believed that God's promise was bigger than life and death. He he was saying of the land God had promised him, no, even at the end of our lives, this is where we really belong. We're not going to go back to where we came from. We belong here. Faith trusts God's promise of a future home. And the writer to the Hebrews says that Christians are a lot like Abraham, God has promised us a future home with him, a glorious new heavens and a new earth where there'll be no more suffering or pain or death. And like Abraham, we have lots of opportunity to go back to the place that we came from. But like Abraham, we're to trust that our true home where we really belong is that heavenly country that God had promised us a new heavens and a new earth, no more pain or suffering or death where we'll see Jesus face to face. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus who's gone ahead of you to that place and trust in the promise. Abraham encourages us in Genesis 23 to keep trusting God. That faith focuses on the future home that God has promised us. So let me ask you this evening, where do you feel most at home in the world? Where do you feel most at home? I guess for some of us, um, there'll be a particular address, maybe in Fulwood, which you say, that's my home, that's where my heart longs for. They say that home is where the heart is. Um, British Gas tell me that your home is your world. Have you seen that advert? And, um, and uh, we might think of a particular place locally, and we say, yeah, that's my home. But I guess for lots of us, it might be the home that we grew up in as a child. And actually, that's the place where you feel really at home. I know chatting to a lot of the students before Christmas, there was that longing to just, to just go home to your real home and to be there. Maybe you're here from overseas, and you say, oh, I live in Sheffield at the moment, but my real home is somewhere else. Christian, how often do you remember that your real home is the land that God has promised you, the new heavens and the new earth, and that you trust him for that, that most of the best things of being a Christian are waiting for you, and we trust God for them even through death. Our true home is that new heavens and a new earth. Do we, do we talk about that much as Christians I've been thinking about the sort of advice and encouragement I give to other people when they're struggling or or when they've lost, as Abraham has here. And um, and the more I've reflected on it this week, the more I've realized that the sort of advice and encouragement I give people is often about the sort of uh, the present promises of the Christian life. The comfort of knowing God as your father. Being able to pray to a God who's in charge and powerful. and, And all of that is good But how often do I say to people, the best is yet to come. And we can trust him because there will be a day when we're with him in a home on the other side of this life where he wipes away every tear from our eye. Abraham encourages us to trust God for that hope and that home. I wonder how often we daydream about how glorious it will be to be with God to be no longer struggling with my own half-heartedness and sin and suffering and sickness, but, but to see him face to face. Hey, look, if you are here and you're looking in on the Christian life and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, it may be that you look at the Christians you know and you just say, being a Christian just doesn't seem to make things that much better now, the Christians I know struggle with a lot of the same sorts of issues in life that I do. They still don't quite have um, enough money to make ends meet sometimes, and they still get sick, and they still lose people, and they face all of these things. And yes, there are a million blessings of the Christian life that I'd love to talk to you about that start here and now in this life. But I want to tell you this evening that the best for Christians is to come, and that we're trusting God for future promises. And there is nothing better or more important than the things God promises us for the future, a home with him. And I wonder how much you know of that. I'd love to talk to you about it more. I bet the Christian sitting next to you would love to. I kind of hope if you ask them what's the best thing about the Christian life at the end of this talk, they might just say that future home. But it's okay if they say something else as long as it's true. Faith trusts in God's promise of a future home. Uh, Abraham also shows us here that faith invests in God's promise of a future home. Look again at verses 14 to 16 with me. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites 400 shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants and do you see how um, how the writer just rubs our nose in how costly it was for Abraham to buy the field three times we're told the price that he paid the 400 shekels and look i don't want to get allegorical or paint you a metaphor or something like that but just notice because Abraham believes in that future home God has promised him, it changes how he behaves in the present. Instead of taking Sarah back to the, um, the family home in Paddan Aram, he opens up his wallet and he pays for a field with it. He invests in the land in front of him. You know, he's like the, um, the property developer who sees um, a shabby house in a bad part of town that no one else wants and buys it anyway because he sees the future value in it. And he invests in this field to bury Sarah. <laughs> you can imagine the Hittites talking about this afterwards, can't you? You can imagine them saying, Look, we offered it him for free, and yet he insisted on paying for it. And buy it. what was that all about? I was looking at this with um with a local lad this week and he said to me, um, he's offered it as a gift, but he he pays for it over the odds. Well you can tell he's not a Yorkshireman anyway. (laughs) Let me ask you a question Does your faith in the future home that God has promised us, does it change how you live in the present? Because that's what faith in the future home does. It invests, it changes our perspective on things, it changes what we spend our money and our time and our energy on. Let me put it like this, if a friend you know who, who doesn't believe in God or life beyond this life, if they saw your budget for 2019 or your diary for 2019, would they find it strange would they find that it didn't make sense to them? Because it was full of helping put the priorities of the kingdom of heaven and the life God has promised us in the future ahead of just making life comfortable now. Because it was full of helping others to know God's promises of a future home with him and full of helping them to know about Jesus who has fulfilled those promises. See, Abraham encourages us that if we believe in God's promised future home, we will invest in it. Our time, our energy, our money, our friendships will be shaped by that promise. Just a word for the students here. Um, The world will tell you that you don't have very much money because you're living on a student loan. But Jesus says not to invest in things, in treasures in this world that'll wear out and perish, but to invest in the kingdom of heaven. And so even as a student, your budget should reflect the fact that you're trusting God for a future home and not this present one. I wonder if it does. But I guess that's a word for all of us, isn't it? Faith invests in God's promise of a future home. But then finally, and just with my last few minutes, faith receives a foretaste of God's promise of a future home. Faith receives a foretaste of God's promise of a future home. You ever had that experience, you know, where um, uh, someone is cooking, uh, maybe at your, your home, and, um, and they've got a dish on the go, and it smells fantastic, and then they say, oh, just, just come over and just taste a bit. Now, and, um, and hopefully, I mean, I, I don't know what the people you live with are like as cooks, but hopefully you get that first taste of the delicious uh, meal that lies ahead. And here is Abraham in verse 17, we're told that the field and the cave in it and all the trees within the borders, verse 17, were legally made over to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites. Afterwards, Abraham buried his wife, Sarah, in that field in the land of Canaan. And so the field and the cave in it were legally made over to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. And the fact that this field and this cave belongs to Abraham is a big deal in the rest of the book of Genesis. You know, if you um, stick with us as we move on through the story, um, Abraham's son, Isaac, Isaac, will be buried there. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, will specifically tell his sons to to bury him there and then will be told that he's buried there. And Abraham's um, grandson, Joseph, when he goes off to live in Egypt, will insist that his body be brought back to the promised land and actually it'll be buried somewhere else but to be buried in the land God had promised. See, Abraham has been promised the whole land and at the end of his life, at the end of Sarah's life, he doesn't receive it, but he does have just a little bit of square footage in the promised land. He has that first taste of what he is trusting God for and of what God has promised him. And again, the New Testament says that Christians enjoy the the tasters now It it may be that the best thing about being a Christian that you mentioned was something that is very much a here and now thing about knowing God and that is okay because as Christians, we enjoy that first taste, that first few square feet of all the good things that God has promised us. Now, not, um, not physical geographical land because God's promised to remake the heavens and the earth that we experience now, but... Well, let me give you a couple of examples just as I close Um, them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. So, you know, if you sit there um, sometimes at home and you have doubts about whether God really will deliver on the promise of a home with him beyond death and a resurrection body to be with Jesus, Paul would say, look at the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, in the eyewitness testimony about Jesus, the risen Lord, we have the first taster of the good thing that God will give us when he takes us home to be with him. The best is yet to come, but have you tasted some of what God has got coming? Or Ephesians 1, Paul says that when the Holy Spirit changes our lives as Christians, that's like a deposit on our final salvation. Again, sometimes we find it hard to, um, to believe that God really will bring us into his perfect home to be with him. No more struggling with my sin and half-heartedness. And, and when I feel those doubts, Ephesians 1.14 would say, well, just look at some of the modest ways in which the Holy Spirit has begun to change you already. The best is yet to come. You can trust God for it but you've had the taster, and you're enjoying it now. They say that home is where the heart is, and Genesis 23 challenges us to ask, where is your heart? Where is your home? Lots of opportunity to go back to the life that you had before. But Abraham encourages us to trust God for the good home with him that he has coming to us. We have the promise of a place at home with God when we die and Abraham encourages us to long for it, to trust God for it and to invest our lives in it. Amen.